just to somebody here today that I'm thankful for where you are, but God is telling you it's not enough. It's not enough. He wants to do more. He wants you to know him more. He wants a deeper relationship with you. He wants to know you and you to know him in ways that you've never, ever thought. Deeper, deeper still. I do want to tell, um, give a happy Father's Day to all the fathers one more time. Fatherhood is, is, is one of the highest callings that God can, has bestowed on you. Um, he's entrusted you with the task of, of, of leading a home, of leading a wife, leading a family. Frankly, in a culture that's fighting you tooth and nail. A culture that's been trying to define masculinity, femininity. That's been trying to define family. You know different nouns and pronouns and culture has been fighting the father for a significant amount of time. We've even got to the point where I can tell you this is one man made a joke. He said, I, I too, I was, I was a man in a woman's body until I was born (laughs) until I was born. But let me tell you this. I, I've never seen a broken home. I've never seen a, a home in despair, a home lacking joy or lacking hope that had a father in it that was in a relationship with Jesus Christ. When the father's in relationship with Jesus Christ, I can tell you I've never seen a home that's been in despair. I've never seen a home that's been in disarray. So if your home is not where you want it to be, man of God, Understand that your heavenly father is calling you into that deeper relationship. This message this morning, is it won't be your typical Father's Day message, but it will conclude as such. If you take your Bibles and turn me to Psalms chapter 46, verses 9 through 11. Again, that's Psalms 46, 9 through 11. And before we get in the text, I, I do want to give you some context. Okay, the text is important, but I have to give you context before we get into the text. And if you if you, if you have a paper, if you have your your regular Bible uh, versus your phones, uh, if if you would scroll up and turn your attention to the beginning of Psalms chapter forty six, at the beginning of the section of Psalms forty six, it reads this. This is going to what it reads in the Amplified. It says, "To the chief musician." A psalm of the sons of Korah, set to soprano voices, a song. Psalms 46, 9 through 11 says, come behold. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, behold. Behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he have made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease. Stop the fighting. Unto the end of the earth, he breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and tell him, be still. Stop moving around. 
and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And for a little bit of time this afternoon, I want to title this message, Behold and Be Still. Behold and Be Still. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for this opportunity to be here, God. And I pray a special blessing for all the fathers on this day, God, that you would equip them with strength, with patience, with wisdom, Lord, to be able to engage the communities, their families, those in their neighborhood, just as you've loved us, Lord. May we be extension of that love to the remainder of the, all those whose lives we touch. God, I pray right now for this vessel right now holding this microphone that you would take and speak through me, my flawed, my weakness, Lord, to deliver this to your people, your congregation today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. All right, our opening text is from the book of Psalms. And the interesting part about this psalm is that it's, it's, it's not necessarily what is written, but the, the psalm is interesting in actually who wrote it. This psalm is written by the sons of Korah, okay? And so the first thing we need to find out is who, who in the world are the sons of Korah? Who in the world are the sons of Korah? This is, this is one, of the, one of a few psalms that's actually not written by David himself, and so I want to begin to open up in telling you, in fact, a couple of things of what we know so far about these men. First, the fact is that they were Levites. They were Levites, okay? The Levites were the males from the tribe of Levi who were responsible for some of the priestly duties and the administration of the temple, their oversight, their operations, okay? They, they weren't actually priests. The priesthood came from the lineage of Aaron, but the Levites were responsible for every, the overall operation of how everything ran. The second thing they would seem to be is that they had some type of musical inclinations, okay? Of 150 psalms that are written in Scripture, 11 of these psalms are written by these sons of Korah. And so at the very least, I mean, give me some grace, give me some liberty here. At the very least, essentially, one could maybe speculate that these Levites were essentially the praise and worship team within the tabernacle system. Now, we just got done engaging in praise and worship and, and leading the music, but it would seem to be that these sons of Korah were essentially, they were your music leaders within this Old Testament tabernacle system. Music is a vital part of worship because what it can do it is it has the ability to shift the atmosphere. It's a powerful tool because the way that you came in, after a couple of songs, you don't feel that way. Music can ignite you. It can excite you. It can calm you. It can woo and swoo you in different directions in different ways. There's a man by the name of Andrew Fletcher. Andrew Fletcher was a Scottish professor. He made this statement. He says, let me write the songs of a nation. I don't care who makes its laws. He said this because what he understood that the individuals that have the most influence are not the people in Congress. It's not the Senate. It's not the legislation. It's not the school boards. It's not the city council. But what, what he understood is that the individuals that could impact the behaviors and the mindsets of people are the individuals that write the songs. 
Music has the ability to embed itself and embed principles and ideas into you at subliminal, mess, in, at subliminal levels that you don't even know why you're doing what you're doing. My baloney has a first name. It's O-S-C-A-R. My baloney has a second name, M-E-Y-E-R. I don't know how that got into me. I know the commercials did it. But I can stand before you today and recite Oscar Mayer's lingo because of what they did in the jingle. You know what I'm talking about? That's what music can do. It has the ability to get stuff inside of you that you did not even realize was there. You know, scientists have even discovered, and listen to this now, that your DNA, your DNA, the chemical compounds, that the strands that make you you, that make up your eye color, your hair color, your skin tone, okay, certain strands of those are actually harmonically ordered. What that simply means is that they, and I'm going to try to explain this the best way that I can. I need an engineer up here to begin to, to, to talk about this. But what they're actually beginning to find out is in some ways, shapes, and form, okay, your biology has its own frequency. You emit a frequency. And that may pl- explain some things. Am I ever tell you that that struck a chord with me? You hear that saying? Or girl, he's playing you. You know, she's playing you. There, there, there may be some truth to that statement because what it's looking at is looking at the fact that, okay, that person knows what words to say. They know how to say them. They know the sounds to make to, in fact, pluck your chords, hit a beat with you to make you do certain things. There's some truth in that statement, okay? Bible says in, in, in Genesis 4.10, here's, watch this, here's what happens. Bible tells us that, that Cain killed his brother Abel, and then God asked Cain, he says, what have you done? You remember this? And, and, and he, says, he says this statement, he says, the voice of thy bro- brother's blood cries from the ground. So what I'm simply saying is that I used to think that as a figurative statement, but when we talk about the fact that your DNA actually may give out a frequency or send out some t- emanate some type of sound, that statement may be able to be taken a little bit more literally when we understand the science behind it. Music can ignite you, it can excite you, or it can calm you. Music can, in fact, increase your cognitive abilities. But here's what I'm going to point our attention to this morning here. In Psalms chapter 46, verse 9, watch this now. Here's what the psalmist is going to do. He's going to shift the attention from the audible, and he's going to shift it to the visual. There's a shift change that takes place. And you've got to watch this by reading, reading the, 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 the actual psalm itself. Okay, there's a shift change that takes place. He's, he's going to shift it from using one of your five senses to go to another, the audio to the video. And so here's what he says. He's, the psalmist says, come behold. Come see. No longer is it about the hearing, but he's asking you to come look. Come check this out. Come see the works of the Lord. Look at what God is doing. That word behold. 
Behold, it's a broad declaration for you to come see. Sometimes what God is going to do is he's going to call you to look at things from different vantage points, different perspectives. First thing, the first perspective, sometimes God is inviting you to see the situation and the circumstances from the vantage point of the future. Sometimes God wants to call you in deeper to get you to look at something from a futuristic perspective. Bible in Proverbs chapter 28, 19, 18, 29, 18 says, without vision, the people perish. They perish. Sometimes he wants to see you, you and I to see the potential of what something can become, of what someone can become. Sometimes you got to look at some circumstances and situations. He says, I know you see what it looks like right now, but I want you to see what it can become. I want you to see the future of it. David said, Psalms 27, 13, look, I'd fainted. I'd passed out. I'd given up hope. I'd given up joy unless... Unless, unless, and that word unless is a future state. Unless I believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Unless I had a vision of what the future could be. That word vision, okay, in the Hebrew is chazan, meaning a dream or revelation. The ability to see things beyond the vantage point of the here and the now. Now, when you understand the context of when David wrote that verse, David writes this verse as a father, and he's writing this verse in the midst of his son rebelling. Absalom was about one decision from taking over the throne. And that's when David makes that statement. Fathers, mothers. You've got to begin to look at your community, look at your family, Look at your spouses and look at your situations, not from the vantage point of where it's at right now. But what I'm calling you to do is begin to look at the, from the vantage point of what happens when God gets a hold of a situation. I'm talking to some mamas. I'm talking to some daddies in here that have been praying for your children. And look at it from the vantage point of understanding what's going to happen when they walk through that door. What's going to happen when they're the Sunday school teachers? What's going to be happening when they're the worship leaders? What, can, can you begin to see, get the vision of how you, not, not how you see them right now, but how do you see them in a future state? You got to have vision. The reason why some of us don't have direction is because you have no vision. No vision. Second vantage point. Behold, sometimes, child of God, he wants you to see the circumstances in light of the present. Sometimes God will call you in, not necessarily to see the future, but sometimes he begins to call you in because he wants you to see a keen awareness of the present. The psalmist said, this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. The psalmist has a, he has an understanding that, look, I, I, I know tomorrow is already passed. I don't know if I have another day, but here's what I do know. I know I got, still got today, and I'm going to make the most of what I got right now, okay? Sometimes you and I need to get the realization as of, I may not be where I want to be, 
but I sure know I'm not where I was. I, I, I may not quite be there yet, but, but, but I, know, I know what he brought me from. <laughs> you may have walked in here today, and you may not worry. You're right where you need to be. Okay. Today, today I'm going to call you. Today, today, if you hear God's voice, harden not your hearts. Today, the Bible says the day of salvation. Today, let, let, me, some, let me tell somebody here, deliverance can happen today. You can have hope today. You can have joy today. You can have peace today. The Bible says that, that, that Martha had an engagement with Jesus, and the Scripture tells us that Lazarus had died. And she says, she admits to Jesus in her fault. She says, I know my brother will live in the res- resurrection on the way, the last day. Jesus looked at her, and he shook that off. I am the resurrection woman. Today, you can have the resurrection right now. And what somebody has to get a hold of is today you can have deliverance. The third vantage point I want to share with you. Behold, sometimes God is inviting you to see the situation lie the past. The Bible says in, in John chapter 19, verse 5, and this is uh, this passage will give you some context. Pilate had had Jesus beaten and spit on, mocked. He had him just 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 mauled apart. And, and, and Pilate begins to, 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 he presents Jesus to the, to, to the crowd, and, and, and he presents him with the proclamation. He says, behold the man. Behold the man. And what Pilate is doing is, is watch this now, his intent is he's trying to shift the tide from all of the negative connotations that, that, the, that the, the Jewish leaders had stirred up around Jesus. You see, the, the Jewish leaders had actually stirred up a lot of the, 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 the slayers and the jeers that the crowd had been yelling at him, Pilate realized that now Jesus is in his guard and he's trying to shift everything off because he didn't want to have this man crucified. And so what he attempts to do is he has Jesus beaten and bloodied and he's going to try to shift the mood of the people by presenting him to them and, in fact, play a little bit on their sympathies and he presents Jesus by saying, Behold the man. In other words, look at him. Look what he's been through. Look what he's suffered. There's some points, there's some times, child of God, that, and this is as Pastor put it last week, the fairy tale tale story that we have has to come to a pause. And there are moments and times in which you and I have to get a hold and get an understanding in light of the circumstances of what we're going through right now based on what Jesus has already done for you. Sometimes, hear me now, the chattering and the murmuring, murmuring and the complaining that we have, okay, we have to take a deep breath and consider that he's already done it on the cross. You and I have to take the perspective that the work has simply been, he's done everything that he can do for us. He gave his entire self for you. He can't give you no more. He's given you his blood. He's given his life. And sometimes we got to get a little bit of song. That song we used to sing, he brought me out of the miry clay. 
He put my feet on a rock to stay. He put a song in my soul today, a song of praise. Hallelujah. At certain points in your journey, you and I have to look back to the past to gain a perspective on our present. Watch this now. Pay attention here. The psalmist says, after he says, behold the works of God, what desolations he's made in the earth. Toward the end of the chapter in verse 10, he's going to say this. He says, be still. Be still. And some of you are right here, right now, in the midst of your, your circumstance and your situations, in the midst of your striving, where you're at, you need to hear this now. Be still. Be still. There are times in, in the course of our life in which the music can kind of carry us along. And there's a, a, a tactic, that, a technique, I should say, that what the musical team does, and, and, and it's actually when the, the instruments will stop playing. Selah. It's a pause in the instrumental, instrumental aspect of the music. And what it allows the, the, the individual to do is that just because the music stopped, that doesn't mean that the worship stops. And you have to understand that because what it is, it's a pause in the music. And once the, the instrument stops, okay, you can quickly begin to hear who is actually worshiping and who is letting the music simply carry them along. And there are sometimes, child of God, in your life, God tells you to be still because he wants to consider, are you actually worshiping me or is the music simply carrying you along? Sometimes the beat has to stop. Sometimes the guitar has to quit playing. Sometimes, because many times what music has the ability to do, it has the ability, and some of you have been singing the same sad song over and over and over and over again. And he says, turn that off and just be still. Put it on pause, be still, and know that I am God. I am the one that's operating. Be still. Can you begin to be still and see the vantage points of where your heavenly father is moving you, where he's taking you, and he's been right alongside you? Be still. I'm going to wrap this up here. I'm going to close with this here. I'm going to tell you the root, the root of the problem of why some of us cannot be still is we cannot behold And the reason we can't behold is because we're looking at the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says, Wherefore, seeing we are all compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight, every sin which so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Watch this now. Watch this. Looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Uh, you put the text up here. Let's break the text down. The, the scripture tells us this. It tells us that, that you are in a race. You are in a race, but identifies there are two aspects of that race that will, will, will slow you, will stymie your progress. The first aspect that he identifies is weight. Weight is tricky. Weight is subtle. 
And the reason why the weight is settled, because the weight is not sin. He differentiates between weight and sin. So some things are weight. They're not necessarily sinful, okay, but they're weight. In other words, they are slowing your race down, your progress with Jesus running toward the master. It's stymieing you. It's not letting you run forward. It's not sin. You know what weight is? Weight's shame. It may be pain. It may be hurt. It may be frustration, okay? So it stymies you so the effect of you cannot keep the right form. It holds you back. But some of you in here, okay, the reason, you are, the reason your race is not as productive as you want it to be is because you are, in fact, entangled by sin. And what sin does is sin begins to cut you off. It cuts off your relationship with God. It will damage your prayer life. It, will, it not only will just slow you down, but you know what it does? It actually sends you in the opposite direction of where you should be running. While the weight slows you down and you can't run forward, the sin actually sends you in the opposite direction because now you're running away in shame. Sin will destroy your witness to be... It will stop you in your tracks. So the author of Hebrews identifies that there's two things, two things that stymie our race. Now, I've shared this a while back, and I, sh- I think I shared it here. I'm going to share it again. When my, when my oldest, when he was five or six, we, we got him in a tracker, track and field. And we, we, I remember when he was five or six, and track is a... a it's a very much, it's an adult sport. Because what you have to do is, is you're teaching a, a five to six-year-old, in fact, really adult things of how to persevere, how to push through, how to essentially discipline yourself when you're tired, when your body does not feel like moving forward, you don't stop. That's a big thing that even adults don't get. But you're trying to essentially relay those principles into a young person. And I can tell you this, that we began and we went to a lot of meets. And if you've ever been to a track meet with five to six-year-olds, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious. Okay. And, and what you will see is, is you, you will see they, they put them on the, the, the starting blocks and, and they put them there, and they, keep in mind they're five to six now. And, and I cannot say this is entirely how it happened, but I'm going to do my best. They, they put the kids in separate lanes, and then they fire a gun. And the, the, all the children take off. But the child in lane one, he is stopped, and he is now crying because he's close to the gun. The girl in lane two, she took off, but she's running and she's looking around at everybody, looking around at everybody else. Lane three fell down and now he's tried to get back up. He's in pain. Lane five is running with his head up. Lane six is running with their head down. Lane seven is running with their head bobbing all over the place. And lane eight is running all in everybody else's lane. And so it's just a madhouse when you begin to watch this stuff. Okay, it is, it is. Watch a, chi- watch a children's track meet, okay? And then you'll get that one child, okay, that as the gun went off and everybody starts hollering and yelling, okay, one child in the middle of the race decided to wave to his mama. <laughs> Stop right there on the track. 
you know, I got so fed up with this stuff that you know what I did? I'm serious now. This is a true story. <clears throat> Finally, here's what I told Josiah. I said, look, here's what's going to happen. Here's what I want you to do. Daddy's going to stand in your lane at the end of the track. And all I want you to do is run to daddy. That's all I want you to do. And so I literally, I got back behind the officials, and I stood in his lane, and I said, son, the entire time, I don't want you to look into the left. I don't want you looking to the right. I don't want you looking down. Don't look to that, that runner, to, the, to the, the other. I don't even want you looking if they're ahead of you. All I want you to do is focus on daddy. I'm going to be standing in the lane right in front of you. And let me begin to make some application here. Some of you are running your race, and we're just like those kids. We're just like those kids. Some of you have been trying to run this race, and you've been entangled in sin. It may be unforgiveness. It may be malice. It may be hate. maybe an illicit relationship that you know you shouldn't be involved in, and it's trapped you. It's tied you up so bad. And you cannot take another step forward. And I'm here to tell you this afternoon that what you need to do is you need to begin crying out right now. Crying out for your father. Some of you are running this race and you're full of weight. Full of shame. Shame from your past. Shame from a failed ministry. Shame from a failed relationship. Shame from maybe at one point in time you've, you've, you've stumbled. You've fallen. And you're running with your head down in condemnation. And your father is calling you out to you, saying, lift your head up. Some of you in here are running this race in pain. You're running in pain. Some of you, at some point, you've fallen and you've gotten hurt. You've gotten up. You've tried to push through. You've taken. It hurts. Every, every step that you take forward, it's a reminder of the fact that you fell. But I'm here to tell somebody that the great physician is here. He's here. Some of you run and distracted. And you're looking around at everybody else and not understanding that your father wants a relationship with you exclusively. Because here, here's what it ultimately happened. I'm going to tell you this. I stood in the lane, and, and Josiah, all of a sudden, he started to, I started to see him change. There's, there's an aspect, Faith, and I'm going to drill in on you, but she's rolling her eyes at me like, why does he always point at me? But there's a component, there's, there's a beauty in a runner, if you've ever seen a runner, but there's a beauty in it when you see a runner get and hit that second and that third and that fourth gear, and you see them begin to open up, you see them begin to relax, and it, and it looks 
effortless. It looks like they could do it all day long. And as, he, as, as, as I stood in that lane, I saw Josiah begin to hit the second, the third, and the fourth gear. And I could see a change in his demeanor. I could see that he was now running with a power. And he was running with a purpose. And he was running he, because he had a different perspective. His daddy was standing at the end of the finish line. Okay. But, 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 but watch this now. Watch this. Watch this. Hear me. Hold on. Hold on. But I realized here was the real fact of the matter. Is, is the change in his run wasn't only the fact that he was looking at his daddy. I realized his, his, the change in his running was centered around the fact that his daddy was looking at him. And some of you, some of you have to realize he had, at that point had his daddy's validation. He had his daddy's love. He had his daddy's support. He had his daddy's encouragement. His daddy was standing there waiting for him. His daddy was right there saying, come son, come on son. Pick it up. Open it up. Uh, set it forth, son. Daughter. Son. Son. It's not only for men. It's daughters. Son. Your daddy is standing at the finish line, and he's yelling out to you, come, open it up. I'm standing right here. Get your head up. Look at me. I'm standing at the finish line. At some point, child of God, you got to realize that it's not only about you looking at your daddy, but you got to realize that your daddy is looking at you. Let's stand. We're going to close here, and I want you to do something for me. I want to shorten this message on purpose. Please do something for me. <clears throat> but first, I'm going to invite anyone to this altar who says, I've been running my entire life without a purpose, without a direction. I have no vision. I have nothing to behold, nothing to see. I wake up every day, and, and I, I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen a year from now. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just living life. I'm just going to work. I'm going to open up this altar to, to anyone in here, the first, first, first wave. You have no idea of what you expect to see or who you expect to see once you cross that finish line. And what I'm talking about is I'm talking about the, 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 the finish line of life. I'm talking about eternity. So when you've breathed your last breath, when, you, when you've said your last goodbye, when you've crossed that finish line of life, who are you expecting to see? What, what, what's going to be waiting for you? If that question troubles you, if that question, if you say, I don't know, I, I think I may, I, if you've got any hesitancy with that question, I, I'm, I'm going I'm to invite you to come to this altar. Because I want to pray with you that you, you, you engage, that you get into a relationship with your heavenly father so that he would be standing in your lane and welcome you in, saying, well done, daughter. Well done.
Well done, son. Well done. Second wave I'm going to invite is anyone who says, I, I started out running, but I got caught up in sin. I got entangled in a mess. I'm going to promise you this. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to beat you down at all. I, I, hear, hear me now. Hear me now. Hear me now. We're going to pray with you that God gives you a complete revelation of who he called you to be. Because where you are right now is not who he called you to be. You need to get a futuristic perspective. You need to get a different vantage point of where he's calling you to. Last group, I'm going to call this altar. Anyone in here? Anyone at all? Anyone in here that says they, they've ran this race and they've stumbled and fallen? You put that pick up, sis. 1992 Olympics. Derek Redmond was running the 400-meter dash. And in the middle of the Olympics, in the middle of this, this Olympic trial, he heard a pop. His hamstring went down. He laid on the track, thriving in pain. Thriving. It hurt so bad. But he, he, he wanted to finish his race. Derek got up, running from Great Britain. He began to, to limp toward the finish line. All the runners had finished the race already. Officials came and they tried to, to get him to, to sit down and he waved them off. He wanted to finish. And suddenly a man ran out of the stands. And the man began to help Derek inch his way toward the finish line. The man that ran out of the stands was his father. His daddy had ran from the stands when he saw his son go down. And, and the message I want to leave you with this, this, this afternoon is some of you get, need to get a hold of the fact that your daddy said, uh-uh, when you've fallen and you've stumbled, that your heavenly father came out of those stands and got on that cross and said, get up, child. Get up. And his father walked him all the way down to the finish line. And some of you need to hear that. This, this, you need to hear that this afternoon. That your heavenly father... It's not about him just standing in that lane and saying, come here. But he said, For yes. Yes. I've run behind yes. I've run in front of you, and I am running with you. He runs with you. He runs with you. He runs with you. This altar's open.